If someone is going to choose to experience this, you can sit with them and help guide them through a process uh, in safety so that they can attain from this safe space. We can teach people these things. And when people start to experience safety in a space, they'll tell other people. All right, guys, welcome to Mushroom Talk. I am your host, Alejandro. Mushroom Talk is where we explore everything all around mushrooms. Today, we have two amazing, badass motherfuckers who are just incredible in the whole psychedelic space. They have amazing stories. Their names are Ta and Cole, and they've been bringing so much awareness and providing some incredible contributions to psychedelic medicine uh, on Clubhouse, on their podcast, telling their stories, Instagram, spaces, hosting retreats, you name it. Guys, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having us, man. Mm-hmm. I'm the badass part. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I, I listened to one of your podcasts called that you're Batman on the weekends. Tell me about that. Oh, no, that's Todd's the one that's Batman on the weekends. Ah, Todd, that's right. Who's Batman on the weekends? Tell me. I'm wearing my drawers on the outside. Uh, You know, wear the tights first and then the underwear. It's good. It's better for laundry. That's right. I love that. I love that. (laughs) You guys are a dynamic duo. I'd love for our audience to help understand who you guys are and how you guys came to this point of doing such wonderful and impactful work together. Because individually is a challenge. I can only imagine how much growth you guys done together. I'd love to hear that story. Well, first of all, if anyone can uh, figure out who I am, if you could kindly let me know, because I still am figuring out who I am in constant articulation of whatever mood I'm in and what food I ate or didn't eat or considered or yeah, it's an ongoing thing. So I'll tell you, uh, my name is Cole. I'll tell you who I am today. And that changes by the moment, but we'll speak to this specific moment. So I'll give a little bit of backstory of what got me into the work in psychedelics and, and power plants and fungi, because I think that uh, the context is pretty important uh, when it comes to the lens that I share through. So if you rewind, 20 years is where we'll start. Um, 20 years ago, I overdosed into a coma from GHB. At that point in my life, I was doing ketamine, ecstasy, a uh, special K just kind of went through the gamut, went through the list. And I was doing it to try to find connection and healing from traumas that occurred. I was a, we'll say, pretty typical at risk youth, uh, dropped out of high school, all of this stuff. And so after my coma, I swung into the once an addict, always an addict side of things. I became a poster child for Partnership for a Drug Free America and the DARE program. And I spoke at universities and colleges and United States government events and uh, Montel Williams show, national talk shows, all that stuff. And so then I was cast very strongly into the once an addict, always an addict belief structure. And though there were really powerful, amazing things in sobriety, many of the teachings over time, I found to be quite disempowering to the individual, myself included as being individual and moved away from that world and really recognized I needed uh, some time to myself to really look into, feel into what I believe. Um, and that was at, that was, uh, my coma was in 2000. My, some of this awakening began or these realizations first began in about 2004. And then as I moved forward, um, it was, or I guess that was 2003. And then in 2008 was when I experienced my first psychedelic as a plant medicine ceremony. And for all intents and purposes, moving forward, I say power plants, master mycelium, <laughs> because, uh, you know, plants is medicine, 
people say, well, but it is like medicine. I'm like, yeah, well, water's like medicine. Air can be like medicine. And so in Western constructs for me, medicine is what we do when we're treating sick people. And I'm looking to not avoid death, but actually step fully into life. So I do not use plants as medicine. I use them as tools and allies and co-creators of my experience. And so in that new reality that I was breaking into, I had a lot of constructs to that I had to face around the once an, once an addict, always an addict uh, belief system. And it was a lot to deconstruct. And in my first journey, my biggest takeaway was I was no longer an addict and I could officially let that title go. The woman that had been, and I, I say girl, because I was quite young, the girl that was going to those substances for connection and love and support grew up and got more tools and didn't need those things as a means of escape or connection. And I was able to let that title go. That was hugely powerful for me. Um, so when I got into this work in 2008, I did not yet know Ta Witty in this third dimensional realm. And so I started that work, that practice, that exploration in a beautiful community with one of my closest friends. And had it not been just the right time under just the right circumstances, I don't know that I would have entered this kind of work. And in the last 13 and change years, I've resolved medical conditions like endometriosis and fibromyalgia and hypothyroidism and a barrage of lots of other migraines, headaches, all sorts of things by doing lifestyle changes and also in some of the self-realization around the deeper stories and traumas stored in my body. So it's been a beautiful experience. And for the first six years was a really focused on my own individual work. Uh, it was quite a while before I stepped into facilitation uh, and holding space for others. And that gets me to the ta witty point, pretty much. And then, we can go on from there once we get you up to speed. About the Batman time? Yes, the Batman okay. time. <laughs> Remember the Catwoman suit, though? Oh, man, the Catwoman suit, the one I was wearing? No. <laughs> yes, dude. So... The sound that I resonate with uh, for people to beckon me and to refer to me is ta, T-A-H. Um, that is what I prefer to be notified with. Um, I am from Brooklyn, New York. I started this work in what, 2013 uh, after being influenced by the, the suggestions of this amazing being that calls herself Cole. I practiced nursing in New York City for 25 years, so... I was around a lot of trauma and a lot of drama in human organisms, and I really wanted to help people stay out of the hospital. And prior to that, uh, my life was filled with a lot of lies. I told lies about everything because I was looking to make sure that my mother never found out who I really was because I was afraid she would not love me anymore or approve of me. And this is some something that I've figured out through a lot of shadow work, a lot of integrated work in psychedelics. And so, you know, there was a lot of lying, and that lying. I built a body of lies, all of the discomfort in my body, the back issues that I had, my thyroid situation and all of this stuff came from this overdrive that I had in my body to, prov to provide this image to my mother that she would always approve of or that I believed she would always approve of because I was afraid of, of her not loving me. And this is something that I built in from my childhood. Uh, I had insomnia for 30 years. Um, I went to bed until I was 14. And at 14, I decided not to go to sleep anymore. And it became a habit and it became an issue. And then I couldn't go back to sleep anymore. So three to four hours a night was my top uh, for, for about 30 years. And it was tearing my body apart. I couldn't get rid of body fat. Um, you know, everything that I did was just counterintuitive. And so 
the straw, literally the straw that broke the camel's back was, uh, it got to a point after I had met Cole, my, the relationship that I was in was collapsing. Uh, I kept saying, I want to get out of this hospital. I want to get out of this situation. I feel out of integrity because I was sending people the procedures and giving them medications that I know were dysfunctional for them. And I took an oath to do no harm. And I ended up with a, a fractured vertebra and a severely herniated disc in L5-S1 in my spine. And I couldn't walk for three months. And wow. I was doing personal training and I was coaching people and doing a whole bunch of other stuff at the same time. And uh, I was also a touring musician. And so everything came to a screeching halt. I had no money left. Um, I isolated myself. I kept myself in the house by myself. And Cole had spoken to me about psychedelics prior to that crash. And she kept saying, I know what you need. You know, I, I, I see where you are and I see what an asset you would be to people if you would explore yourself in this way. And I was like, what do you want? What are you talking about? She's like, well, go to the ceremony. I was like, what's the ceremony? She's like, well, you go in this house and these people and you get in a circle and, you know, you take these plants and you go into a psychedelic realm and you find yourself. I was like, oh, you want me to do some drugs, some white people, some maybe white people. I ain't doing that shit. And so I had a lot of brainwashing from the healthcare industry and had a lot of brainwashing from my family and then, you know, there was the the idea, the stigma around drugs and having illegal substances, uh, being, being a black person um, and getting arrested and spending time in jail. And, and that was just like, no. So after I finally had this back situation go on, she was like, what else? What do, you, what do you got to lose, man? You know, what do you have to lose? And I trust Cole more than I've trusted any human being in my life. Mm. And so I said, I'll do it for you. <laughs> Because right? that's all the easiest way to do it for somebody else. And so I went and I had this experience that I can only describe as paralyzingly frightening on a heart opener. <laughs> uh, it was uh, Sassafras was my entry space into, uh, into psychedelics. And I was afraid. I was afraid of being out of control. And that's where I learned that I was a control freak. And I was looking to control my environment by lying all the time. And it was a huge opening for me. And I started to lean into being honest. And so I started, so I, at first I was like, I'm never doing this again. And then after about two weeks, I had a, a couple of huge openings and I was like, I want to explore this more. And so I started to explore psychedelics. And when I got into the mushroom space, I started to be, I learned how to navigate uh, psychedelics in a way that I, I never thought possible. And like, I had no idea about this navigation. And so, you know, people started bringing Cole and I out to journeys to help people that were at these journeys navigate spaces while they were in the mushroom space. And so Cole and I would sit with people and we would help people navigate spaces. And so people started bringing us out to more and more stuff. And people started to tell me that I had a gift for this. And some of the facilitators were like, I want you at all my journeys. And so I, we would go to these journeys. And, and so we built up this skill set of being in the psychedelic space and helping people navigate. And we took that and we brought it outside of the psychedelic space to help people navigate really, really expansive spaces outside of the psychedelic space to help them integrate their psychedelic experiences afterwards. And so uh, that's that's a huge part of, of how we got into it. There's there's you know other things, other song and dance things, going to the jungle experience and ayahuasca and all these other things. But that's where I, that's how I got started. So in a nutshell. <laughs> what a nutshell. Man. Wow, I'm just sitting here like... First and foremost, thank you so much for that vulnerability. I love the yeah, ownership and the truth, right? And um, I resonate with a, with a little bit of everything that you guys have spoken to, but there's a lot to unpack here. And yeah. this is what I love about the two of you, that you guys are coming from a place of experience, not theory, right? Like you guys have done the work. You guys continue to do the work and continue to show up in the most beautiful, loving, kind, compassionate way in your daily practice. Um, yeah, and so yeah, as yeah. guides, you know, cause you guys come from two different spectrums, right? You taught mm -hmm. you being a registered nurse and Cole with the background of just having lived that, uh, you know, that addict story and being able to grab 
graduate or remove yourself from that in a, in a powerful way. What is the responsibility of the guiding principles that you guys live by in order to guide others? Well, for me, uh, the guiding principle is honesty. And um, when, when you look at this spectrum of health, there's, there's ease and there's dis-ease. And many people will tell you that that disease is the opposite pole of health. And health is the process that rides that you ride on from disease to ease and ease to disease. So it's not disease being the opposite or the opposite pole of health. It's the opposite pole of ease. And so when the human organism is being dishonest, it has to hold a posture. It has to create an environment of belief outside of itself and even inside of itself. It has to it has to create that posture and so so that other things and other people will perceive it as such. And so this is a very, very heavy sympathetic charge in the body. And the body is subconsciously creating identities for other people. And when you are dishonest in this way, when you are inauthentic in this way, it drives the body's usage of resources by the brain up dramatically. And so when the brain is using that much um, that much power, it removes it removes resources from the rest of the body. And when the rest of the body is, un is unable to get resources of oxygen, energy, uh, proteins, uh, fats, cholesterol, the things that it needs to, to, to create new parts, it starts to fall apart. And this is where we get disease and this is where we get dysfunction. This is where we get disorder. And so, my, so our, our, our chief thing is to be honest with yourself primarily and then outside of yourself. And that's the, the, not just the expression of honesty, but the way you relate to honesty, the way you're, you are able to honor someone else's truth, regardless of what you believe it is, whatever your story is, to honor another person's truth and lean into being able to help that person or, or, or ride that truth with that person in that space. And it allows the human organism and the body to actually relax and rejuvenate and replenish and change itself. And so that's the first place that I would say that we work with uh, that principle. So from my perspective, and I always love everything that Ta shares, from my perspective, it depends when you ask me. And I'm going to be very honest here. The, the guidelines that I have personally change. Uh, the beautiful thing is I found the alignments within those changes that tend to be in support of most folks. And what I mean by that is some days the whole reason that I have the integration processes set the way that I do for myself and others is convenience um, because it helps people to be more self-aware to self-facilitate so that they don't need me. So on some days, it feels good to know that I helped someone self-identify and create the systems and support that they need to evolve into the person they perceive themselves to be, want to be, what they uh, project as their higher self, or I prefer infinite self. And other days, it's just because I don't freaking feel like it. I don't, you know, some days I have my human moments and people need support and I get to go, did you do your protocol book? Have you gone through your processes? And quite often the answer is no. So then I have a free ticket out of here, man. Like, great. You didn't do the work. So I don't have to, to there's nothing to show up for if you don't do your portion. So the truth is, um, as, I, as I look, as I expand, as I grow, I'm always looking for what is functional for me? What is dysfunctional? And I removed judgment of good or bad with anything. Things just either became functional or dysfunctional for who or for what and in what context. And so if my desire is to be supportive of a person in their process, that doesn't mean that my goal is to help them achieve their outcome. Right. And so what do you mean by that? Actually, that's a really powerful statement. Can you go into that a little bit? 
Yeah, because being outcome-driven is a beautiful thing, right? To have goals, it's, it's important. However, my goal isn't for you. My intention is not for you to obtain your goal. My goal is to be intentional and present in reflecting where you are. Because if I get too focused on helping someone reach their goal, then my ego can get involved to be judging the process or thinking we should be further or we should be doing things differently. And then there's also a judgment that occurs because if we have an outcome and a goal, and I attach to it, doesn't mean we don't have it in our framework, right? There's like a metric. But if I become attached to the outcome, I'm no longer present either. So my sole intention is presence and to be the reflection and to ask the questions for the person to self-reflect within themselves. Because future projections of a goal is based on our current perception, our current ability to dream. And even when someone dreams really, really big, it's still on some level within their ability to perceive that it's possible. And what I've found in the last 13, 14, almost 14 years was that the more that I pushed to try to reach an outcome versus having an intention and a goal and a trajectory, I started to limit myself when it became about the goal. When really, like, let's say when I wanted, I just want to be happy. I just want to enjoy my life. But then I could be at a journey where I start getting the giggles and I'd be like, no, I need to be serious. I need to be serious in the journey so I could do the serious work so that I can finally play. And so it was like I was skipping the point. I was being offered what I wanted, but I was attached to the outcome more than I actually was being in the outcome. Like, no, I needed to work to get there. So when I look, if my goal is just to help someone achieve their goal, we may be missing something much much fuller, much more enriching outside of their current perceptual lens. So my intention is solely to stay present, to ask questions, to check in, and giving someone the freedom to change their mind in an instant. Because quite often someone would start working with me and they'd say, this is what I want. I'd be like, great. And then my desire for for me to have a successful client became stronger than the Mm -hmm. point of the whole thing. And so learning to slow down and remember, it's not about me. That is so powerful. Yeah. And swinging it back around that this is all honesty based and like Cole led off with the first thing she said is I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) This is about, this is about about the momentary honesty. And, and, and when you know that your truth is relative to the moment, in your presence. You can always ride the truth right now. What is this is true for me right now? I like these strawberries right now. I may not like them tomorrow. Right. So it's riding that momentary truth. And that's where Cole's Cole's genius is, is riding people in that process of now and being in that truth space in the moment. And this is why I believe uh, the, the truth is so important to the work that we do. It is a very foundational space. It's also what expresses in the body in the moment of now. So the in being able to even express a truth, because on one hand, everyone uh, avoids being lied to, right? They'll say, the one thing I hate is being lied to. And then I'll get 10 questions in and finding they're lying to themselves. And I'm like, so where does that put your authentic expression? If you're not being honest with you and your spouse and your environment, then your basis for what you're creating is already not true from your own cosmology. And so, you know, just by being able to slow things down and recognize that truth is relative to the context and timing and where you currently are, 
it makes it easier to not get sucked into that like spiral of shame. Right. And it's, it's, that's an integrated truth. You are constantly integrating the truth and that's bringing something together from, from my vantage point. Integration is the bringing together of things. You are integrating things. When you pull things apart, you disintegrate things. And sometimes people will latch onto a past truth and they'll hold on to it and they'll do their best to stay integrated with the past truth. And that does not allow them to integrate the moment of now. And so being able to let go of old truths, recognize them for what they were, they were the truth. And things are always true until they're not anymore. When you look at our sciences in the world, how many times do our sciences shift? And people will stay hard-edged on scientific facts until they're not facts anymore, then they're not true anymore, they become debunked. And so it's the same thing with the day-to-day life situation. It's the same thing when we walk and talk with each other, when we have relationships with one another, they shift and change. And when we can stay in the momentary truth, that is when we can integrate our experiences, we can integrate our past knowledge, we can integrate our future projections all in the moment of now. And that brings us like so beautifully tied into both the work of integration, honesty, and the present moment. What do you think psilocybin specifically does in terms of the pre-work, the during the work, and then post-integration that a lot of people kind of lean on the medicine to face that truth? What have you seen in terms of best practices and what are some of the most profound realizations that have come from your clients working with psilocybin that came from the integration, not necessarily just the the journey themselves, but the integration process? I mean, that that can go a lot of different directions and, and each direction could be its own podcast episode. But I think one of the most profound realizations when people were able to recognize that they had their mind and they had their brain. They had their mind intelligence, their cognitive intelligence, and their body intelligence. And in the integration process, part of what we teach leading up to experiences is how to anchor and how to use objects and how to use your body to more fully realize a truth as it's happening so that your recall and the embodiment of it is fuller. And so in the integration process, what we'll see is someone will have this moment of pause where they're getting ready to, in their older ways or their previous ways, were going to be reactive. It gives them like this moment to take a breath and consider a different way of handling it, that responsive versus reactive. But that pattern interrupt is the difference of the trajectory. And so someone can, and I've seen it, uh, witnessed it more times than I could possibly count, People going into experiences, having this big realization, and then going back to the environment, relationship, foods, situations that were happening beforehand. And so the body, which is process-oriented and habit-oriented, will go back to its way of functioning. And it's like it gets sucked back in. They get pulled back into this tornado that they were previously operating in. And so in the integration process, when they will pause to create what we call a life team where there's a safety net and there's an action plan, then that helps to support the new habits while they become new ways of being that are more permanent, that take some practice, that requires some muscle you know, to be showing up for, whether it's uh, setting boundaries or whatever. But the funny thing is, is how often someone would come to us and say, I'm coming to optimize my business. I want to dream bigger. We're like, sounds good, pal come on in. And then they get here and they find out that they've been driven driven by deep self-loathing, never feeling good enough. And that was what was in the way of their business. It did help them to a point. It served them, 
but the recognition that it no longer served them and that they could let it go without losing their passion and drive for what they're committed to. And so besides that, I mean, it's case by case what we've seen, you know, just from my, my personal level, seeing medical conditions resolved that aren't supposed to, according to Western medicine, can't be cured. And yet if I haven't been hospitalized since 2009, medicine can call it what it wants, dormant or whatever. Um, and I'll call it complete heal and healed and thriving. Why do you think so many in the psychedelic community kind of keep the integration conversation very intimate and very much into kind of like the community instead of like being more open about the the power and the importance of integration? Well, I don't think most people are actually doing much of it, to be honest, besides the morning after, which is powerful. That's a powerful processing component. But as far as everyone talks about integration, I don't see a whole lot of integrating happening beyond the day after um, as far as lifestyle um, or, you know, there's some happening, uh, not to say that there's none. And so I feel that people speak to it to the depth that they actually understand it. Um, and then beyond that, then there there's privacy and, and other things going on too. People that could lose their jobs or their kids or, you know, other things are at risk if they were to talk too openly. And if they talk too much about integrating, then if they're an underground facilitator, that could put them at risk. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about this, this risk concept. Cause I know that in our pre-conversation, uh, Cole, you and I were talking about coming out of the psychedelic closet. Do you feel that there is a new wave of movement that's going to start being able to embrace the psychedelic experiences that's coming out of the closet. We're going to see more people. And what is it that's going to be that catalyst to be able to just kind of speak to using mushrooms or using plant medicine or using plant power, like you mentioned, in, in a very similar vein as we see getting a massage or going for a gym or going on vacation? Well, I'll give some of my thoughts. And I know that Ta has um, a bunch as well. What I see on projections, when I look at big pharma, when I look at patterns that I've seen in the past, uh, what corporations have done, then there's going to be a few things that happen at once. I am a white woman. So if I come out and I'm very public about it, then it just likes, oh, is that white, you know, hippie shit? That's what the entrepreneurs are doing. Uh, but if I looked differently, I think the outcome would be different in the articulation of my experiences and me being able to publicly share it the same. And so I think that as freeing as it feels to be having a lot of these conversations, each person must also discern and decide in their environment um, what could be at stake in understanding where they're coming from. Because on one hand, yeah, we're going to start to see um, more destigmatization with psilocybin and MDMA therapy through a therapeutic lens. But to meet that, it's going to also require for the marketing to make the general public afraid of mycologists and home growers because they'll, they're going to have to make them look like drug dealers you know, that are scary and you don't know what's in it as if you're going to get speed inside of your... Um, you know, mushrooms or heroin or something. And so they're going to have to demonize a group of people. And I'll let your imagination do, you know, some exploration of what group of people could potentially be blamed as be as not being um, in the therapeutic sense. And so we're, we're also going to lose accessibility to people who aren't complex PTSD and PTSD, where it's like, no, these are only for you if you're messed up enough. We are in our infrastructure of therapy as it is right now. 
unless you get diagnosed as disordered, you do not get the care. Even in many family structures that support mental health treatments, it's still on some level we're saying until you're sick enough that you're not functional, you do not have enough significance for time and attention. Yeah, I have I have a ton of thoughts on this. And, you know, with everything in my life that I've seen on this planet, nothing has turned out the way people have predicted it. And, you know, Nostradamus and all these other people with their predictions, uh, there's been a lot of inaccuracies of stuff coming up. So for me to sit here and say that I have a prediction of how things will go or can go is, you know, it's, it's just not in my, it's not in my idea space. Um, I'm riding the wave and seeing how things are expanding and I'm looking to nudge that wave in, into particular directions. And so what I see uh, as, as being an opening point for people is courage, courage and, uh, and curiosity. And when people can open themselves up to be co- courageous in a space where we're providing safety for each other, we will explore these things on our own. And when we have curiosity and we open up the space to be curious and to not have to be directed by something outside of ourselves by playing the victim role, uh, we, we will be able to expand differently. And the more people expand into psychedelic spaces and they start to understand how safe it actually is when they have an environment that is provided by people who are facilitators, space holders, trip sitters, Sherpas, or whatever you want to call them and us, um, that safety will start to expand and people will start to get more comfortable talking about this. Oh man, you know, this wasn't really what, what, uh, what it was cracked up to be by the media. You know, you're speaking to a person who spent 28, 25 years of my 28 years as a nurse in the hospital system. And I was told nothing, but all of these things are terrible substances and you're going to, you're going to become an addict and you're a bum if you do them. And all of that stuff is just uh, a bunch of lights and whistles. And and it's just, you're just there to get high. And it's not the case. It has never really been the case uh, completely. I've never taken care of a human being that has died from mushrooms or even had any serious ailments from mushrooms. I've had a couple of people have some, some weird things happen with MDMA, never a death. Uh, never uh, one person, one baby died from ketamine, uh, no other human beings that, I, that I've experienced. So there have never really been any negative situations with these types of psychedelics not in, and, and cannabis for that matter. Never uh, have I had any serious ailments with any of these things and they've been stigmatized. And so it stops people, the fear space stops people from acting because they need somebody outside of that to protect them from it. And so when we start to, uh, the people who are experiencing psychedelics get into the space of comfort and curiosity of asking, hey, mommy, did you ever think about this? Or, hey, Phil, did you ever, you know, talk to your brother, talk to your sister, talk to your lover um, about these things? And we start to get curious and courageous. I believe that's where the expansion space, the potential for for expansion lies. And being able to provide a safe environment when we're doing things like the psychedelic space program, where we're actually training people how to be trip sitters, how to be, and this is why we're coming out of the underground. This is where our psychedelic coming out is, is we're we're not telling people to go buy illegal substances or anything like that. We are telling people that if someone is going to be experiencing this and you're not distributing this, distributing any substances, if someone is going to choose to experience this, you can sit with them and help guide them through a process uh, in safety so that they can 
attain the things that they can, that they can attain from this in a safe space, uh, teaching people uh, the dangers of being alone with this and, and the, the benefits of having someone. We can teach people these things. And when people start to experience safety in a space, they'll tell other people. And word of mouth is the strongest media medium mm-hmm. on the planet. And it beats the news, it beats CNN, it beats mm-hmm. the MSNBC, it beats all of these things. And, and so as, as, as we move into a space where the people that are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s that are exploring and experimenting in this, we can teach the younger generation. And as the younger generation starts to move up, these are the kids that are going to be our legislation coming forward. And when we teach these children uh, the power of these things and the power of sovereignty, our governments will change. Our government structures that are already falling apart can be destabilized and they can, and we can bring something else up to replace them so that they don't have to fall. They don't have to be destroyed or taken down or torn down. They can be dismantled gently with love and care and consideration for how they got us here in the first place. And we don't need this type of structure anymore. Let's move forward. And so when we can, when we can, when we can get people into, into an empowered space and out of the victim space and needing a system like government and needing a system like family structures or whatever to have total jurisdiction over each other, the nervous system can relax and we can lean into these things. And when we get excited about these things, we spread the word. When you look at children, children's books, right? When you look at Dr. Seuss, how did Dr. Seuss get spread around by people like, oh my gosh, have you read this book? My kid loves this book, right? And the kids will tell each other in the schoolyard. And it's the same thing with young adults. When we talk about movies, when we talk about music, it spreads like wildfire beyond what any media outlet can control. And so when we have people in a safe space, that is where I believe this this stuff will expand, where we come out of the closet with this stuff with each other and one another. And we, we let go of our past truths. And this is why I'm swinging it back around to what we started with, the truth, right? The truth before for me was that psychedelics were bad street drugs and that they were mm-hmm. evil and right and so my truth is now different and if my tr- and if somebody was to come to me with some with, with something different or i experienced something different my truth would be different tomorrow and it's being able to let your truth be malleable being able to allow your truth to to shift and change and and remove dogma i think dogma is one of the most dangerous things and as we remove dogma and we start to become malleable with our government structures malleable with our interpersonal relationship structures malleable with with our our uh, our, how we build our businesses, right? Malleable with how we how we create our financial systems moving forward. Look at what's happening with crypto, right? It's all malleable. And when we do these things from a space of awareness, when we do these things from a space of sovereignty, that's when we can grow. Yeah, and Toss said a couple of things there that really is the premise of what we found was what was going to be necessary now, which is education. Until people understand what the laws are, until they know what laws are coming up for them to vote on, um, you know, we're looking to decriminalize, not necessarily legalize everything, right? Because when you get armed with more information, you find out that if we just if we just legalize everything, we could lose peyote. We could lose some other plants and animals on this planet if it was completely legalized. However, in decriminalization, there's a lot more opportunity for accessibility because again, um, as with anything, with some freedoms come restrictions and requirements and, and all control. sorts and control. And so mm-hmm. convenience is the ultimate oppressive system. And so if we say, oh, it's easy. Now you just go to your doctor to get psilocybin. It sounds convenient, but truly. But it's really and not, that, right? No, it's, it's control. And, and dependent on the person, right? There will always, like I, I often hear people have the argument of having pharmaceutical psilocybin versus like homegrown mycology. And I do not perceive that there is a, that we need a choice. There's 7 billion people on this planet. And even if 
uh, everyone decided, every therapist decided or was able tomorrow to provide MDMA or psilocybin therapy with the chemical components, we couldn't come close to fulfilling the need. So my thing is whether someone enters in through the organic matters or through the chemical components, it doesn't make a difference. If that means that, you know, Steve down the street stops beating his kid because he's finally processed his PTSD, then we we eliminate some generational trauma, right? And the perpetuation of it. Not every person is here to be a warrior in the ninth dimension of the Palladian sun or whatever. And so this is our opportunity to for inclusivity means inclusive of everyone, their belief structures and where they are. Some people will feel safer to know that they're sitting in a clinic with a trained person and other people that would trigger them because of other types of trauma that they would feel safer with the organic matter. My whole intention with all of this is that I know that in bringing education so that people do understand the laws, they do understand how to get involved. They know how to create a business that is supportive and they can support this movement now legally and in what ways they can do that. That with as these uh, mainstream medicines come out through the therapeutic lens, that I know that for me, if someone presented and I read all these articles about psilocybin, then I was like, Wait a second. That's just how I talk in my head. (laughs) You mean this little mushroom has psilocybin? I would rather just do that. Why? Because I prefer organic matter, right? And so we're going to have both of those. Uh, We don't focus on the fact that we have frozen foods and and all of these processed foods. No one's going, I'm afraid we're going to just lose real food. We started to have farms and organic farming and encouraging people to grow their own. And so I don't think that we have to choose... I think that in recognizing what our individual contributions can be to this cause is the difference. And that inclusivity of how we integrate, whether it is chemically or not. I'm wearing clothes right now that are chemicals too, you know, made of some plastics at times. And as I increase my awareness of my imprint on this planet, I increase my understanding of how my body impacts it and how I can be more supportive or more in tune with the earth. And so if someone starts through the chemical lens, if that if their only purpose in life means that they're more relaxed at home and they're able to be more present with their kids and they don't go shoot somebody up at a church or whatever, then so be it. Yep. I'm grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Indeed. You know, psychedelics are like uh, like baseball, right? <laughs> Uh, Tell me more about that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, right. It's an individual individual sport, right? It's an individual sport that you play on a team. And when you consider um, a baseball bat, right, there are aluminum bats, there are wooden bats, right? They weigh different weights. They have different lengths and they fit each person differently. Each person knows how to swing, but they swing differently. Some people mm-hmm. uh, have a right, a right stance. Some people have a left stance. Some people step way outside on the outside of the batting box. Some people step on the inside of the batting box. It's all individual. It's an individualized situation. The same thing for the pitcher, right? Different gloves, different, everybody has a different mitt. All of these things are very specific to the individual and they're still on a team. And so when you look at psychedelics, it's a very individualized situation for each individual person. And we have to be able to allot 
for that individual situation. And when we look into that, that's where the magic is. And so we've got to educate. We've got to be able to show people how all of these things work for the individual and support the individual in the space. There is no broad-based solution to all of this. It's, it's about sovereignty. And when we have sovereignty in that space, we can bring the sovereign person to that team and we can, we can nurture their skills. We can nurture their whole situation, give them a bat and a glove that fit for them, show them the positions that we know, and then they can make the position for themselves and move. And then we can also the team together does that make sense it makes absolute sense and i, I love that uh, that metaphor and that visual of like it's the individual's sport within the team and i love that that everybody has a responsibility to take ownership of their own thing it really resonates that both of you are speaking to a very similar thing in in such unique and beautiful ways when it comes all down to safety right when mm -hmm. people feel safe can show up fully right when we feel safe in a space we can communicate when we feel safe we can heal right when we can heal that person who no longer has ptsd and no longer beats his children that's powerful as well as like the person who no longer feels danger and communicating their needs because their whole life has been people pleasing right when we no longer have to live lies over those masks i love that and guys just coming up towards the end of the hour but i wanted to give you guys a, a moment to shout out where people can find you where can we see you where can we hear you where can we join you depends on how many mushrooms you eat no, <laughs> there's lots of places you could meet me tomorrow depending on you know what your vibe is no so our, our <laughs> whole intent and purpose uh, right now is a three-day training in austin texas and then also on clubhouse we're on there almost daily between the two of us and we take those audio, if you don't have an iPhone or you're not on Clubhouse, um, we put that onto our podcast. The Psychedelic Space is specifically for psychedelics. We also have another podcast called Mentor in the Mirror that's more conceptually some of the things we talk about, shame dynamics, uh, victim complex, intimacy. and intimacy, and, and getting into a bit more conceptually there. Um, really what's exciting me the most is people coming to, to this three-day training. Even if you aren't sure if you're, you would ever facilitate, it's recognizing even by considering you are in a facilitator role. Mm -hmm. And so the word facilitator is to make, to make easy. Mm -hmm. And so even if you never touch a substance even, just by being armed with the information, you become a support system in your community. Mm -hmm. It's not about dishing out the substance and it's not about consuming it. Part of what I truly believe and what's become very resonant for me is that these mushrooms, these fungi, these uh, cacti and teachers that I've worked with in interdimensional capacities they're always working through me. And so someone's experience with them doesn't need to be in consumption. I am an expression of them in how I treat people and how I show up in the lessons that I've learned. Mm. And so even if someone's listening and they haven't thought of facilitating, you already are. Yeah. Because the one moment someone asks you a question and you have some resources, you are facilitating education. And uh, this, this, you know, the, the program that Cole is speaking of, if one is considering going into psychedelics to be able to know how to facilitate yourself, uh, this, 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 this is a, it's really important to understand also with this program, what kind of person to look for in a facilitator, what they, what they, what their, uh, what the basics of their knowledge 
would need to, for me, the basics, whoever would come to this would have the basics to be able to sit for me in a space for me to feel safe. So when one person, when a person knows that they know what to look for in a person, they also get it, start to get a gist a physiological gist of understanding how psychedelics work, mm -hmm. how, how they move through the body. And a lot of the tools we'll be teaching can, can be utilized in other aspects of life and how you uh, integrate with your children, how you talk to your children, how your nervous system works in, in tandem with your relationships relationships with your business and all of these types of things. We'll also be teaching people ways to be able to, to monetize what they're doing so that they can actually sustain themselves. So we'll be teaching a, a, a whole skill set that you can take this and move into psychedelics with it, or you can move to other aspects of your life with it. So psychedelics are something that we integrate into all aspects of life. And we are talking about integration. And that's the theme that you asked us to lean into. So I'm going to lean into that theme. I love that all aspects of your life mm -hmm. really really important this is not just about going on a trip it's not just about learning how to be a trip sitter or a space holder or a facilitator this is about integrating into your life really becoming an integrator and becoming an integrator mm -hmm. becoming integral with your processes and also just integrating yourself with what's going to be happening this, whether people like it or know it or not psychedelics are becoming more in vogue they will be legalized and you will come across people who have been interacting with psychedelics at some point within the next five to ten years Years. So it so the more you know about this, the more we are empowered as a, as a race of human beings, and that is integrating this process. And you did speak about earlier about having all of this integrated into the into humanity and how we can expand this. Having more knowledge about this right now from the gate allows the whole planet to start to have that knowledge. When people on one side of the planet learn something, the other side automatically starts to pick it up. It happens in our humans, and it happens in our animals, it happens in our plant lives. So this is integration. That's really powerful, guys, and thank you so much. And when is the date of that three-day retreat? That would be May 7th to the, to 9th, the 9th in Austin, Texas. It'll be in Austin. It will be available virtually for those that physically cannot travel because of you know, closures and restrictions. We will have 80 people in person, but we will be in a facility that is large enough to accommodate space for those that need it. Uh, we do also acknowledge and let people know, though, masks are not required and you are welcome to wear one if that resonates for you. Um, I just like to let people know that ahead of time. Um, and if you go to the psychedelicspace.com, you can get more info as well. We've got guests like Dr. Dave Rabin, who's a known psychiatrist in really in the forefront of uh, the therapeutic psychedelic work. And we've got other folks that come from generations of training through the shamanic lenses. So we're here to, again, expose information to be the intersection for every person to find their way home. And what's that podcast, that, uh, that website there, sister? Oh, I said it, thepsychedelicspace.com. That's right, thepsychedelicspace.com. Com, com. You can also check us out on Instagram at Taco, T A H K O L E. And you can find our individual accounts there too. Cole has an amazing individual account. I have an individual account on Instagram as well. That's awesome, guys. Thank you so much. And this has been Mushroom Talk. Thank you again for everything. And stay tuned for the next episode. And thanks again for listening, guys. Cheers.